185 miles south a hardcore punk rock podcast hey everyone if you uh like the podcast please like rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and uh also, please consider supporting the show by donating at patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Once again, that's patreon.com uh, slash 185 miles south. You can donate a dollar a month or three dollars a month or five dollars a month or ten dollars a month or whatever you can do. And uh, that really goes a long way. I've been uh, trying to do all these interviews in person just because I think they're more personable. Um, and it's better than the phone, but uh, it's expensive to travel around and uh, you know get a motel room so I can set up and shit. Um, this one is a cool podcast. This is Fred Hammer, who's like an old school nardcore guy, and uh, he did It's Alive fanzine in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands, and uh, did It's Alive Records, which uh, kicked off No Motive. Uh, did the Dick Circus 7-Inch. That was like a, a big local band here in the 90s and uh, did a bunch of cool records. And he's just, he's always made, uh, you know, records interesting with stuff and them with a bunch of cool stuff. And, and he's always got a funny story to tell. So hopefully this uh, interview represents him well and uh, you guys get to know him if you don't already know him. And if you know him, hopefully uh, you enjoy this as well. So this is the Fred Hammer interview. All right, today we have the legend from It's Alive fanzine and It's Alive Records, Fred Hammer. Um, welcome, Fred. What's up, Zach? How you doing? We got to start. We got to start off. I bought you a burrito, dude. Oh, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, man. I appreciate it. Vegetarian? Absolutely, bean rice and cheese, dude. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, of course. So, what year did you get into punk rock? Um, around 1983. Okay. My, um, I had a good friend in Ventura. His parents were best friends with my parents and he had an older brother and we went to his birthday party and the suicidal tendencies album had just been released. Yeah. And his older brother had got that for his birthday and, um, they were playing it. And I remember we were in his room and I was just like, what is this? Yeah. Like, this is just, I, I mean, I, I can't even explain it. Yeah. It's just, you know, just like I, I knew right then, like, that's what I wanted to listen to. Yeah. And I remember just staring at the cover, just thinking, this is incredible. And in 83, you were 14 or? No, I was I was a little younger. 83, I was around 12 or 13. Okay, that's right. I was in junior high. Yeah, yeah. Fremont Junior High mm -hmm. in Oxnard. Cool. And then when you go to your first show? Went to my first show probably uh, six months later or so, six months, maybe a little longer. Uh -huh. There was, um, so my friend Mark from Ventura, then uh, my neighbor Artie, who I would uh, ride BMX bikes with around town. He, uh, it was me, Mark, and Artie, and my mom gave us a ride to the show and uh, dropped us off, and it was in Camarillo, and um, I can't even remember where it was at. Yeah. Just just a little hole in the wall. I remember getting dropped off and just being scared to death. Yeah. But I was just like, this is it. And who was playing? Do you remember? I mean, uh, Dr. No was playing. Okay. Dr. No. And um, 
I believe maybe habeas corpus. Okay. And I remember I went in and there's this local punker guy, I forget his name, but he had a mohawk and he delivered newspapers and he was there and he was headbutting people and, j- and just going wild. And yeah. People are fighting. And I was just like, wow, th- this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wild. So how are you hearing about the shows? Um, I think just word of mouth, but also uh, Salzer's Records. Mm-hmm. I'd go to Salzer's Records. I'd ride my BMX bike there. And, um, you know, they'd have flyers, yeah. et cetera. And um, I would just hear, just hear it by that. And also Blake Cruz of Stalic 13 lived two doors down from me. Oh. So he would ride his BMX bike up and down the street, and he would borrow my dad's tools uh-huh. to work on his uh, bicycle. So he would uh, he would tell me about shows and stuff, and I'd see Stalic 13 practice. And yeah. It, it was crazy. Yeah. And where were they practicing? Then they were practicing – I believe at Ron's house, which would have been, I think, uh, Oxnard Shores. Okay, that area. Uh huh. And we'd go there, and um, I can't even remember how I'd get there. And this, well, you ride your bike, right? Yeah, I'd I ride, ride my BMX yeah, all over town. Yeah, I'd ride my bike or just hop a ride or whatever. Yeah, and this this would have been the Stalley Thirteen, like the demo era. They're just fast. Yes, just fast, just fast. And what is it like? You're you're just sitting in the garage or the the room and just listening to them go and it's yeah. wild. Yeah, it was wild. And also, when I was that age, that young, I looked really young. I mean, yeah. I literally looked like I was probably like nine years old. Yeah, you know, like weighed like seventy pounds. And so I just, you know, I was a kid and I could just really just sort of hide. Yeah, just stand in the corner and no one would bother me. And also. uh I went to Fremont Junior High in Oxnard, and down the street, uh, Dr. No would practice uh-huh. in Kyle's mom's garage. Yeah. So I'd ride my BMX bike over there after and uh, watch them practice. And they're a, they were a more, like, well-rounded band by that time. Yeah. Stalag was, they came into their own on the LP, I think. The demo's not that great. Right. It's a little thrashy. Yeah. A little generic. Yeah. Pretty I like generic. It, but yeah. I like it, but, but the LP stands out, and all that Dr. No stuff is good. Yes, all like of, all of it. Every good. single era, I right. think, even through like the the Metal Blade stuff is, I mean, you got to have an attention span to listen to a seven minute song, but <laughs> exactly. it's still good if you can get into it. No, I remember uh, This Island Earth um, wasn't out yet, but they would practice those songs in the garage. Yeah. And, uh, I really liked them. And somehow I think Kyle had the artwork okay. to it and he, he was showing us the artwork and the lightning and. Yeah, it was it was just wild stuff. That's a cool looking album cover. It just it's like a got a vibe. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. it's really cool. Yeah. So, do you remember like the big four albums coming out in '84? Like, do you remember like when the song would come out or what happens next? Or I, I don't remember like them hitting the shelves, right? You know, like seeing a record release day or whatever. Yeah. But I do remember like going to Salzer's. And being like looking for the record, knew it was out or coming out. Yeah, you know, obviously this is before the internet, etc. Sure. So I, I'd go there as much as I can, and um, yeah, then you know I'd see him on the shelves. Where I, I'm pretty sure, like the Doctor No and the um, Stalag Thirteen, the band members. Like I bought it from the band. Yeah, members. yeah, because you were actually hanging around with these guys. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's like one of the facts that you know we pull so much information on discogs for like being chronological, but it doesn't help when four albums come out in 1984. One thing I haven't been able to narrow down is like, well, which one came out first in 94 
You know what I mean? In 84? Yeah, in 84. My bad. Yeah, I... Um, like, I'm just curious. Like, did the ill repute hit in January, and then the Dr. No came out in March, and then the Stalag came out in June? From my memory, I mean, I could be completely wrong. What I remember is uh, the Stalag came out first, mm-hmm. and then the ill repute mm-hmm. after. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Maybe a, mo- may- maybe a couple months. Yeah. But that's what I remember. Yeah. And so that's 84. And then when do you decide to start like participating more than a fan and doing a zine? Um, well, I, I, you know, when I go to Salzer's, there was a free fanzine uh, 60 miles north. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up. And, you know, my friends, they, you know, they have guitars and drums, et cetera, but I've never been very musical. So I'd bang around on that, but I couldn't really play. And I was like, wow, a fanzine, like anyone can do that. I can do that in my room. And my mom was artistic. So I'd seen, you know, she'd done art, drawings, paintings, etc. So I'm like, you know what? I-, I can do this. So I just, you know, there was a little uh, Xerox place way before Kinko's, like down the street from my house. And I'd ride my bicycle there. And there's some older guy owned it. He was super cool. And, you know, I just start, you know, making flyers and, making my zine and just just started there just in my bedroom yeah 60 miles north is a pretty well-developed fanzine though that's that's like a a good one to strive for yes yes yeah i mean i don't i don't think i ever got you know i never hit that stride but yeah it was man it it was a great great fanzine yeah great fanzine what year was it's alive one well i want to say like 85 Mm -hmm. around 85 and actually it's funny because um Santa Clara, Santa Clara Elementary Youth Group printed it. Oh, sick! Because they're like helping the like a it's a it's an artistic thing for a youth, right? Sort of, yeah. Like me and uh, me and my buddies would go to this youth group at Santa Clara, even though we didn't go to school there. And I mean, we would just goof around and cause problems. But they had a Xerox machine there, and um, I, I don't even know how I haggled them. But I was like, hey, I'm, a, I'm making this thing. Can you print it there? And actually on the first issue, it said, I think it says published by Santa Clara Youth Group. But yeah. I mean, I was too young. I meant printed. Yeah. <laughs> Not published. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's where the first one was printed. Yeah. That's fucking cool. And who was in the first one? Um, It was just uh, pictures and flyers. Yeah. And some show reviews. That's cool. A few show reviews. I think it um, I think it had a picture of uh, Dr. No like a minor threat flyer. I mean, you know, you got to understand, I mean, people know this, but like getting stuff back then before the internet was a little difficult. Sure. So if you had a, a photo of Dr. No and a minor threat flyer, it was, it was sort of a big deal. Yeah. You just couldn't Google it. Right. Right. That's so cool. And like, were your show reviews just like super positive? Like this band was sick. And then this other band came on and they were sick too. Like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I was just a kid and like, you know, this band rocked and this band ruled. Yeah. And, and Doc, I remember I, in the show review said it was the first time Dr. No played one of their songs, like Burn or yeah. something like that. So that was like a big deal. Yeah. And funny about show reviews, because a few issues later, a friend of mine did a show review and he sort of, not even bad mouth, but just gave a local band sort of a bad review. Uh-huh. And at the skate palace, one of the band members like approached me and he wanted to like kick my ass. <laughs> and I was I was just like this little kid, like, uh yeah, yeah I don't know. That's what I was wondering, is cause eventually you develop a more critical 
eye on things. Right. You right. know, but at that time, just everything is rad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it didn't, everything was good. You yeah. Know? So, and, and I mean, I don't mean to sound like jaded or anything, but I mean, a lot of bands, there weren't as many bands then, mm-hmm. you know, like nowadays there's 5,000 bands and with 5,000 bands, there's going to be shitty bands. Of course. That's the bottom line, you know, but back then there weren't as many bands. So they, I think they, you know, maybe had to try a little harder. Yeah. But I think there were a lot of shitty bands back then too, Fred. You you've listened to a Mystic Comp or two, absolutely. <laughs> so, party animal. Yeah, I know. Look at that. Like that you know, that third one, the party or go home, is like pretty close to just pure garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and they keep pressing it. No, I know it's so funny. Um, so the zine starts developing though, because the first one is just really small, right? And then um, actually, the second issue had a no effects interview and. Mm-hmm. I'm almost, I'm 99% positive it was the first ever no effects interview ever. Yeah. Ever done. Because I had seen the band play and I had talked to him and I was like, hey, I have a fanzine and I wanted to do an interview. And they're like, really? Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And um, they gave me their phone number and I called and I remember the dude's like, hey, I'm washing dishes. I'm doing this. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then I was interviewing, he's like, oh, this is really cool. Like, this is a really the first ever no effects interview. Uh-huh. And I'd bought some. My mom would take me to Radio Shack where you could, you put this little, like, suction cup on the phone. Okay. Into a tape recorder and it would record it. So, um, and it's funny because obviously no effects, you know, they're famous, you know, they, they've done a lot. I remember, like, emailing them. And telling them, like, hey, I did this fanzine. And, I mean, I know those guys, not, like, good friends, but, you know. Yeah. Like, hey, man, what's up? Like, I did the first ever no effects interview. And they were like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Cool. They were in Santa Barbara at the time? Living? Yes, they are in Santa Barbara. They're in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're an interesting band. Yeah. Those, I mean, those records are bad. Yeah, they're pretty bad. I mean, and, like, you know, people talk, like... I don't care who you, you asked. No one would have guessed what they had become. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were just part of the scene, just dudes cruising. And then, I mean, good for them. It's amazing but how successful they are. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's crazy. No, I know. Well, a lot of that is is him doing his own label, right? Right. I mean, that's where the real wealth probably comes from. Yeah, yeah. He makes a – and I didn't even know this, but Chris Dodge of Slapham Records – and Spaz uh, worked at uh, Fat Records. Yeah. I didn't know that. I heard that on a podcast the other day. But yeah, I think he gets a lot of money from his label. But you know, the the band does pretty well. That's true. Well, I mean, they stuck with it, and also like you know, one of the great unsung records because people look at like the late '80s as punk kind of being down. You know, even though it's like a great time for hardcore music, like traditional punk is kind of down. Right. But Rock and Roll Nightmare in 1987 is like. A mind blowing record. Yeah, that that record. It, it's funny. It's just I think that record is so far ahead of its time that it, that people just didn't get it, and it just sort of got lost in the mix. It kind of still is. Like if you listen to it and try to like pick it apart, it's a wild record. Yeah, I'm not even like a musician, but yeah, it's just everything about it's just just incredible. And I think, like I said, I think it's just ahead of its time, and people just. It but got I skipped over. But I think that's what that's the no effects turning point is that record because 
they keep taking stabs at trying to do something that wild. And then they finally like fall into a formula that works for them. Right. But like, it's the worship of everyone else not really caring about like records of that time. And then them like, this is the blueprint and taking stab and stab and stab at it. And then finally kind of figuring out their sound. Right. And from what I know, when um, I'm pretty sure this is true, when El Jefe joined the band, I don't know him, but when he joined the band, he was a professional musician and he sort of set them straight. Like, this is how a band works. This is how you do melodies. This is how you do backup. This is how you record. Yeah. And it was just like the perfect storm. Yeah. And it just, yeah. From then on. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's a live records. Well, let's see. The half off stuff didn't come out till the nineties, but when do you make friends with those guys? Um, half off in, uh, the mid late eighties, mm-hmm. they, uh, the band half off from long beach. They had a advertised little ad, in a maximum rock and roll and flip side for a demo tape, cassette tape. So I sent off a little cash, got it back. And me and the guitarist, Jim Burke started, uh, you know, riding each other, then exchange phone number and talk. And, um, my dad was very involved with uh, drag racing. So he'd go down to like orange County, LA area, you know, to pick up parts, et cetera. And he would drop me off there. Mm-hmm at Jim's house or Billy Rubin's house. And I would just hang out for the weekend. Yeah. And, um, it was, you know, they just, they, you know, they were cool guys and just showed me, showed me around the LA orange County area, took me to shows. And then, you know, that's sort of how I made a lot of friends there. Yeah. Is that how you, you think you branched into hardcore, like outside of the Austin area? Yeah, I think so. I think that had a lot to do with it. And also, um, there was a fanzine, uh, no loitering from, uh, Oklahoma, this guy, Darren mock, did and I was writing him and actually went out to Oklahoma and hung out for you know a few weeks in the summer and you know he, he had a vast knowledge of hardcore like East Coast and he showed me a lot of cool stuff and he ended up playing a uh, bass and verbal assault. Oh Jesus. Yeah so he uh he and he was in a band called Face First. Uh-huh. And it's funny he put out a cassette compilation. I believe it was called Head on straight or okay. something, and I mean, it had Instead, Half Off, all these great bands, and he gave me a box of them, and it had a huge booklet, etc. And you know, I gave away some, sold some, and to this day, I never hear anything about it. Yeah, cassettes is kind of like it's lost, right? Yeah, because there are a bunch of of good cassette comps, and they're yes. all kind of just like lost to history. Yeah, just just yeah. That's wild. It's, what do you do in Oklahoma for three weeks other than listen to records? It was cool. Just uh, his band would practice. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when you're that young, you just drive around, listen to records, goof sure. off. And, um, yeah, it, it was cool. And he was talking to the Verbal Assault guy. So I know the, he had all this, like, I think unreleased recordings of Verbal Assault he would play me. And, yeah. You know, and, yeah, it was a cool time. Yeah. It was a good time. The only thing that sucked, I got chicken pox. And, 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 and they wouldn't let me on the plane. So, <laughs> so what? So I, I you have got, to take the bus? No, I got delayed like a few days. Uh, so, yeah. Did was, you get anyone else infected? No. Nah, nah, <laughs> just me. I, that was a wreck. That's late for chicken pox. Yeah. Can't that like fuck you up? Yeah, it, it, it sort of fucked me up. I mean, you know what? It fucked me up a little, but I, I look like a zombie. Yeah. You know, I looked worse than it was, but yeah, it was. Because uh, I think little, I got that in like second grade. Yeah, That's like when you're supposed to get it, right? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just 
you know, train wreck. You got to vaccinate. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the one you don't vaccinate for, right? You got to just get it. Yeah. Who knows, dude? Anyway, so we can't we can't jump all the way to ninety two yet to get to the half off record because. Can you talk a little bit about the? You had a weird schism with like the youth of today guys, right? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I was just young and the half. The thing was, Billy Rubin, the singer of Half Off, was best friends with Ray Capo of Youth of Today. And this is like what year? Eighty-seven, like eighty-six, okay, around eighty-six or so. And then they had a falling out over a girl. <laughs> of course, of course. And I, I don't know all the details. And then, um, you know, Youth of Today, Billy. So Billy had beef with Ray Capo, the singer, and I, I was very good friends with Billy. You know, and I was young, so I just sort of went along with Billy. And um, they would he would tell me Youth of the Day stories, whether they're true or not. I don't know. And um, so I put something in my fanzine. I interviewed Youth of the Day, and I was sort of, like, giving them tough questions. And, you know, we sort of bickered back and forth. And then they put, um, they put out the schism fanzine. And they said some shit about my fanzine, It's Alive. And, you know, this is before the internet and big beef but i mean it, it was really nothing yeah it, it wasn't you know i, I became i'm friends with those guys that's the only reason why i ask if yeah. you were still beefing now i wouldn't ask no, that question no 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 I, I know those guys pretty well you said day we're cool and i see them when they're hanging out in california and that it was just some kid stuff yeah, yeah. but the the whole half alpha album was really just sort of poking fun at youth of the day and like the, the truth crew band yeah the truth yeah and I know when the Instead album came out with the three kids on the cover, like Billy Rubin just said, hardcore's dead, and he just quit. That's so funny because a lot of people think that album cover is silly, and I think it's, like, awesome. Yeah, I like it. I, mean, it's I cool. love it. It's Ryan Fredette's only tattoo. I know. <laughs> it has to be good. I know. I mean, I, I love it, but it is – it's – I don't know. that. It's funny thinking about what gets to be considered hardcore music. Because, like, obviously it's, like, a faster punk. But if you listen to, like, that Instead record, it is, like, safe music. Yes. You know, where, like, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. It's, it gets considered hardcore. But, like, listening to, like, a Slipknot or something, it's like, oh, that's that's not hardcore. Those, but those people think, like, oh, I play hardcore music, you know? <laughs> right, and it's like, no, here's real hardcore. Put on Instead. It's, like, safe. And, like, your parents are, like, cool with it. Yes, that's a good yes, message. Yes. You and suppose, supposedly the artist... Went to Rio Mesa High School. For reals? Yes. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, so suppose the artist who drew that artwork, the original artwork, went to uh, Rio Mesa High School in Oxford. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. So, in like 86-ish, what are the shows like in Nard? They're pretty uh, They're pretty violent. And big, right? They're, they're at the they're community center? Yeah, there's probably 500 people. That's a shit ton of people. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of skinheads and, um, you know, punks, beach rats, just, just sort of a melting pot. And, um, yeah, they, they, they were just wild. I mean, I remember going to shows and people almost, almost every single show. Is that I, the door? I think someone's knocking <laughs> at the door. All right. And, um, every single show just pulling the parking lot people just fighting in the parking lot. Yeah. Even before, uh. Even before the bands, they're just yeah, there to even, scrap. Even before the bands, you know. Must have it before. No. 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 Oh no! Gracias. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, shows, shows, I mean, you know, they, they were just sort of out of control. It was, it was literally just like a free for all. Yeah. I mean, just, just people fighting and just, you know, it was like pure anarchy, but I loved it. I remember seeing Mark Hickey. This is one reason there's a few reasons, but I'll tell you one reason the Oxnard community center got shut down because Mark Hickey brought his dog and the security guard wanted to kick out the dog and the security guard like kicked his dog or something. So Uh Mark Hickey like punched out the security guard and from, you know, that, that was sort of one of the nails in the coffin. Yeah. Just one. But, uh, yeah, they, they were violent and, um, just, just wild times, man. How were the cops like not hip to it if there were just people fighting in the parking lot? Well, I mean, people don't live here in Oxnard. I mean, Oxnard has, you know, it has a, it has a crime rate. Yeah, and there's real crime going on in Oxnard, and I think they just they know when they it's just be- boys having fun. Yeah, they have better things to do. Yeah, they, that's the bomb. They had better things to do than punk rockers. You know, people got away with stuff, violent stuff like. You cannot get away with now with cell phones, et cetera. Well, if you think about it, like even last night, like at a show like that, no one outside is bothered. And everyone's like, you know, drinking a bottle of liquor and smoking weed. And it's like, if we were anyone but a bunch of white punk rockers, <laughs> you know, you'd be fucked. Trouble. Yeah, <laughs> be in big trouble. So that's fucked up. So, who is this? Is like, it's, it kind of puts you on the spot a little bit, but it's something that I'm curious about. And probably most people are like, what are the popularity bands or the popularity levels of like the different narcore bands like in like the the prime like the eighty four to eighty six like is aggression the biggest band? Aggression is definitely the biggest band. Yeah, I mean, I mean by far. Like you know, aggression. We all knew like aggression had gone on tour. You know they they'd been in the studio more. Like people out of town knew them. You know, they, they were rough characters, cool guys, but you know, they were, they were dudes you want to fuck with. And, um, yeah, they, they were, they were just the top dog and, and just, this is a random fun fact, but around 86 or so aggression and Dr. No played, I mean, walking distance from that show last night mm-hmm. on Oxford Boulevard. You know, obviously I don't remember the venue, but it's in a little strip mall and everything. And um, it was Aggression and Dr. No. And I remember, uh, I don't remember what band members, but maybe Kyle got on and jammed with Aggression. Henry got jammed with Dr. No. And I remember, like, there weren't many people there. It was just sort of like, it probably wasn't an advertised show. Just like a last minute. Last yeah. minute show. But I remember outside, like, uh, Skinhead's just beating everyone up. Like, on downtown Oxnard. And how are you escaping it? You're just like. Well, like I said. Because you kind of like, you're. You look young and it's I, easier I, to just I, hug the wall. I look, yeah, I just hugged the wall. I looked really young. I mean, I probably weighed a hundred pounds then. And, um, I never dressed punk. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just surfer kid, just jeans and a t-shirt. So I, I, I didn't stand out at all. Yeah. I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't draw attention to myself. Yeah. So that's why I, I never got bothered. And are there a shit ton of skinheads in Oxnard? Are they like coming from Ventura? Both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were skinheads in Oxnard and Ventura, so uh, some someone went to Oxnard High, and um, yeah, no, they were around. They were around. Someone lived on Hollywood Beach. Mm-hmm. They um, this guy, uh, Fat Mike, and not the Fat Mike and no effects. He'd ride his moped around. He was a skinhead. Mm-hmm. Would hang out. And uh, there's a skinhead John at Oxnard High 
who actually passed away right when we graduated. He drowned at Silver Strand Beach. Jesus. Yeah, was it a big day? No, he was uh, scuba diving. Oh. He was scuba diving. I, you know, I don't know the details, but he drowned. I went to his funeral, and uh, yeah, so. It was, uh, That's wild. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, so then Ill Repute, Stalag, and Dr. No are all around the same popularity. Like, any of them could headline? Any, any of them could headline. I mean, j- just in my opinion, aggression, definitely. And then I would say, um, I would say Ill Repute. Yeah. I would say Ill Repute. Was was the second like if they're four on the bill, I would say uh headlining aggression, then um then ill repute. They're sort of fun band, positive yeah. band, you know. Yeah. Just just everyone liked them. And they're on every single comp. Yeah, and they're and you're right, they're on every single comp, they're accessible. Yeah. Like everyone everyone You knew. know at least one song. Right. Everyone knew, and then they're on that Ronnie on the Rock. Yeah. Like that that clean was Clean Cut American Kid. Clean Cut American Kid, that was a big deal. And then um I mean, most people, I mean, if you collect records, et cetera, but, you know, uh, Stalag was not on uh, Mystic Records. Right. So at Mystic Records back then, I mean, it sounds funny, but you could go anywhere and find a Mystic Record. Yeah. I mean, literally, just like they're falling out of the trees. Yeah. It was it's just any place you went, you could buy Mystic Records. And Stalag was on Upstart. And, I mean, you could buy it, but... um. You know, you had to look around a little more. But Stahl was on the Nardcore comp, mm-hmm. so that's sort of, you know. And then um, Dr. No was popular. There were, there were some people, I think, didn't like him because they were a little too metal, which is funny. Even then. Even then, but funny now because, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, you know, know. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they could interchange, but they were, you know, yeah, it was, they they play around, and it's great. Yeah. So, should we jump to the 90s? Sure. Okay. Um, you do your first record. It's half off, 7-inch. Yeah, I think so. I did that in 1990. Okay. 1990. They list you as 92, so you got to uh, give Discog some shit. All right, it's either 90 It could have been 90, because it, it's listed twice. Like, you did a different cover. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I think it was 90. I graduated high school in 89. And then I did it the year after. Yeah, like the Rain on the Parade song. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, the, the guitarist, I mean, long story short, the guitarist, a half off, who was a good friend of mine, who showed me, I mean, you know, he put me on a lot of cool music, take me to all the shows at Fenders, et cetera. He, uh, he took his own life. And I was like, man, I got to do something for this guy. And uh, other people were doing labels. And I was like, I want to do a record. And literally, I just, the band gave me a cassette of a couple uh, studio tracks and like three or four live songs. And I just uh, called Bill Smith Custom Records. And they told me to call this other guy, uh, Lynn Horowitz. And I mailed him the cassette. And then next thing I know, like, I have test pressings. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember before I got the test pressings, I'm like, they're going to fuck this up. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way this... This even the live stuff was really really rough, mm-hmm. you know. And I sent him a cassette of like ten songs. I'm like, hey, I need these three songs, and I was like, they're gonna fuck this up. Uh, both no, those are pros. Yeah, so they like, never looked down. Like, cause cause you put me in touch with them probably five years later, and they never looked down on kids. No, right? No, it was all no. They treated everyone the same, and they were cool. And 
Didn't matter how good or bad your band was. Not that they, I think they would know anyways. But that's pretty wild that like someone without a punk or hardcore ear would pick out like three songs out of a 10 cassette yes. tape, right? Yes. You're like, because that means you had to sit there and listen to it for the breaks. <laughs> right. You know, it's not digital. I mean, I think I gave them times, but even okay. that, it still all sounds the same. And, yeah. you know, and I, I actually was pretty surprised. And the guy who owned Bill Smith, the actual Bill, he was still alive then, man. That, that guy was the nicest guy ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he treated everyone the same. And you go down there and I'd pay cash and he'd always give me deals and He'd always put my releases in the front of the line, and um, he, he, he was a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I didn't ask about the 80s is, did you ever go to Mystic or have any sort of interaction with Moody? I had interactions with Moody. I, I never went to the Mystic studio, mm-hmm. but um, I did, like, write, I'd write letters to Doug, and I'd talk to him on the phone. And even even back then, he, he, he was a pretty quirky guy. Yeah. Like, you'd write him and be like, Hey, you know, is any new ill repute albums coming out, et cetera? Is there going to be a Nardcore 2? And he'd write you back this this long letter how, you know, he had produced this other band and did this. And, and Nardcore 2 is going to come out with even better bands. And, you know, he, he was always always all over the place. Yeah, he's great to talk to on the phone. I'm I'm hoping he'll do this. He keeps saying no. But I'm staying on him. Well, you got you got to stay on him. I know because don't take no for an answer. No, I know, but you got to bribe him or something. Yeah, people got to know. Like he's he's just such an interesting character. Even if you take out all the punk stuff, yeah, just of like you know not only him being in the music industry his whole life, but his father as well. So it's yes. like like the whole 1900s. His like family <laughs> is the music industry, and if you yes. think about like where the music industry was in the early 1900s compared to him still being in it now, it's incredible. I mean, what a musical history. And so, what's up, Doug? Come on. I'm not going to, like, we're friends here. We're not, yeah. we're not, and I've met him before. He's a nice guy. And it's cool you post those uh, old non-punk records of Mystic, because I, I'd seen those around in person, maybe online, but it's cool you're posting, like, you know, clear pictures of them. Yeah, it's, that stuff them. is wild. Yeah, it is and it's wild. weird because some of them have, not the ones I have, but there are some of those non-punk ones that have, like, real value. Like there's a, there's like a six hundred dollar one, Friends and Strangers. I don't oh, know wow. if they're like a, uh, if they're a soul band or a gospel band or something, okay. but it's like it's a six hundred dollar record, like legit. It'd be very cool to contact those non-punk bands. I and know. See what their experience what their experience was is at Mystic Records. I know. You know what's what's crazy is he did that Fernando Valenzuela like picture, picture disc yes. in like eighty two or eighty three, and it's like I wonder what the licensing was like that because. You know, that's with the Dodgers. The and Dod- with, yeah. Like, that's wild. Yeah. Was he, like, way above the board on some stuff and then way below the board on some stuff? or Probably. He, Who knows? He, I mean, I think he was just throwing mud at everything, whatever stick, and, yeah. you know? But, yeah, it's funny because that baseball player, I, I mean, I'm not a baseball fan, but, I mean, that guy's, like, a rock star. Yes. He's, I like, mean, world he famous. He can't, like, yeah. walk down the street. Like, people yeah. – so, he, I wonder if he even knows that exists. I know. And then that, if that was like 82, 83, like that is like his prime too. Like that's Fernando Mania. Like <laughs> it is. Like yeah. he was a fucking G. Yeah. So moving on in the 90s, I, I don't, did the Dick Circus or the No Motive come out first? No Motive. Okay. And like, how do you find those guys? Well, 
Because Pat lived right by you. Yeah, Pat Pat lived pretty close to me. I mean, like bicycle distance. But I went to high school with his older brother. His, okay. his older brother, who's a doctor now, he's a year younger than me. And um, we were on the swim team together and would hang out. And um, I think he told me, like, oh, you like this punk stuff. And it's funny because his older brother would ask me about random bands. Like, have you ever heard of Gigi Allen? <laughs> and, you know, like stuff like that. Like, yeah. yeah. And I tell him all about it. He's like, oh, my, my younger brother. And then I went to some party hanging out at the beach or something. I remember the first time meeting Pat. He's like, hey, how you doing? You know, my brother, et cetera. Hey, nice to meet you. And he goes, have you ever heard of Danzig? <laughs> and it was a, it was a serious question. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a joke. I was like, yeah, yeah. So we were talking about that. And um, yeah, well, then we just became friends. And then, you know, he, you know, he just started a band and then it went from there. And they were wild because yeah, the yeah. drumming was so fast. Yeah, it was drum, weird. Yeah, the drumming was so fast. And uh, we'd go hang out at his house. And it's funny because like we talk about history because my memory is not perfect either. But even I'm sure Max will tell you Max was on here. And he sort of gave how he got in the band. Mm -hmm. And even what he said was a little wrong. Yeah. he, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he even, because I, I remember what happened and he was even a little off. Okay. So what happened? So I was friends with Max and would surf with Max and hang out with Max. And um, he was a younger kid, but cool kid. We would surf together. And um, I knew the no motive dudes. And the no motive guy's like, oh yeah, we, we you know, we need another guitarist. And I was like, I know this kid. I know this kid, Max. And um, so I told Max, and I remember being at Pat's house and uh, Pat's dad dropping Max off. And I, I can see it like it was yesterday, Max walking up to Pat's house with the guitar. Uh -huh. And then coming in like, hey, this is Max. Max like, hey, guys. And they'd seen each other around, and then that's, that's how he joined the band. Yeah. And I mean, they're great musicians, but even back then... Like Max, Dave, etc., they had to sit on the bed and play guitar. They couldn't stand up. Word, why? Because just, I guess, moving around. It's just easier to play yeah, sitting just, down? Yeah, just easier to play sitting yeah. down. Yeah, so. that's wild. Well, Dave Brandon had to play the lead, yeah, I don't remember. I, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> Dave, it's funny, Dave, man, I love Dave. He, do, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit in that band for people who weren't around back then. But Dave was the coolest, nicest guy and, I mean, that guy would shred. I, his uncle played drums for Michael Jackson. So I think he was just raised around music and a quirky guy. And just, yeah, he, he was the coolest guy. Yeah. You know, he, he was the guy always embarrassing the band, like falling off the stage, like forgetting his bass. The the one famous story, uh, No Moto went and played Bakersfield with this band, Active Ingredients. And it was like a punk house. And they had this huge half pipe in their backyard. So we go there, all eyes on us. We're just standing around and they're like, you want to skate? And we're like, eh, we'll just watch, you know, we'll, we'll just hang out a little. And Dave's like, I'll do it. And he starts riding the skateboard on the half pipe, flies off and just cr takes out like five people. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, that's Dave. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was awesome. it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And that seven inch, like how, how many are you pressing? 300. And then you you saw the first press right away, right? Is there is it three hundred on the white paper? 
Yeah, because so the one you always see is the green one now. I have both. But. Okay, yeah, it was, it was the white paper. And you did three hundred of those. I did three hundred. They're hand numbered, and um, I remember like you know going to uh, John Lyons. You talked about John Lyons a mm-hmm. lot at uh, the living room. And I knew John forever, and people don't know this. John, before all that, used to roadie for No Effects. So is let's talk about John Lyons because <laughs> he's a good one to nail down, right? So is he a Santa Barbara dude? Carpinteria. Okay. He lived right off the freeway in Carpinteria. So when I'd go to shows in Santa Barbara, sometimes I'd get off the freeway in Carpinteria. He lived in an apartment complex. And um, I'd go to his house and he'd give me zines, records, whatever. We were just friends. Yeah. And, you know, it was right off the freeway. And I'd go there and just pick stuff up and hang and out is, with John. Is he your age? He's my, I believe he's my age. Okay. Yeah, and so Carpenter and then he wrote it for no effects. What year do you think? I, I Too bad they didn't make the book. Yeah. Did he, you read um, that book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read the book. It's cool. Um, I, I think probably right after their first album that they self-released. Right at, Probably right when they moved. I mean, I'm not a huge, like, no effects. Like, yeah. you know, I can't tell you everything about the band, like, timeline. But, um. Probably right when they moved to Santa Barbara. Yeah. Like, he started hanging out with them and then would roadie for them. Yeah. That's cool. He's he's such an important person. He's an important person. Because he recorded person. all that stuff. Yeah, he's an important person. And um, people, I mean, people never met him, et cetera. You know, he, he lived at the living room, which was a club. Mm-hmm. He lived there. And he, he, was, just, he was just a low-key guy. He didn't really talk. He didn't really say much. You know, I would say you you would never know how he actually felt about you. Yes, yeah. like I never knew if I was bothering him or not. Right, but he didn't make me feel so bad that I wouldn't ask again. No, he didn't. I mean, and I'm sure I haven't talked to John forever, but I mean, he I'm sure he would say that he he didn't have like a lot of personality. Yeah, he, he was just sort of a plain Joe, and that's just how he was. Yeah, and um, he was a smart guy and would record bands and j- just one take and just be like. Yeah, that's good. No, he would say, "Do you like that?" Oh yeah, do he you wouldn't like tell. That? He would never tell you if you're, it was good or not. That's like the knock. He's like, "You had to be playing this, and you're so young and so nervous." And then he'd be like, "How do you like that one?" It's like I have no idea, like what my performance was. And then like you're recording in this room that's kind of like away from him. And if you want to listen to it, you got to go into the room. So you're just really slowing down the recording, right? And so you had to be on you point when you went. I think it was. $10 the, an hour? The first time I would have recorded there, it was $10 an hour. So that would have been 95 And by the last time I recorded there, it was 20 an hour. Okay. So over the span of four years or whatever. He raised his price. You but needed he, to. I mean, like, it was a good, solid recording. You never walked out of there feeling you got boned. No, and I mean, people, I mean, you know, people don't understand, like, recording back then was so much more difficult. You yeah. know what I mean? Nothing digital. You just you just had to do it. And I remember, you know, he he would cut the reels and literally tape them together. Yeah. And I think he's the one who got me in touch with Lynn Horowitz and just yeah, he he had a wealth of knowledge before the internet. He had a wealth of knowledge and just you know tell you where to pressure records. He, I remember he even told me I think where to buy like sleeves, like yeah, class, like just random yeah, just random stuff. Before bagsunlimited.com. Before, before bagsunlimited.com. <laughs> um, then you do the Dick Circus. You, you did the Missing 23rd demo or no? Yes. 
Well, I it, I did release it. I think, I mean, you'd have to ask those guys, but I, I, I have an original copy, and it says it has a big, fat It's Alive Records logo on it. Huh. I, I, can, I can send you a picture of it. And it's funny because I had one, and then I gave it away. I don't know what happened to it. And then um, actually Igby from Revelation, I had to buy it off him. Okay. He had it, but um, yeah, that that's it. That's that's. I mean, I don't know if it's on Discogs. Yeah, it's that, listed. I don't know if uh, they have a picture of it or anything, but it's listed as yeah, like, it's alive. It, it, it was. It's alive, and I, <laughs> I know it got passed out a little, et cetera. So, and I, and I don't know if that. I guess that was their first recording. I yeah. mean, the missing twenty third. I, I get the timeline. Also, I get very yeah. messed up. But why would you have done a demo with them and not a record? Was it just that they needed something out quick? I, honestly, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I think you know they were playing shows, starting to play shows, and they needed something out, and you know, like, hey, let's do this, and that that was it. Yeah, you do the Dick Circus record, and right. that they record at the living room. Yeah, and um, Barney, who um, he filled in on guitar, he worked at Record Outlet, uh-huh. and he went down there, and um, yeah, I went down with them, and they recorded, and you know the. They were squared away people, so they just it was it was easy. Yeah, that it was like yeah, they're an interesting band. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You just putting out stuff you liked. Yeah, just stuff I liked, and you know it's easy to work with local people, and also to back up the no motive sentiment. I remember when the test pressings were ready, I drove Pat down to Bill Smith Custom Records in El Segundo, California, which people don't know that area is is, is really close to LAX Airport. So he went down there. I remember Bill Smith put on the test pressing and he was playing it. And Pat looked at me and he said, is that my band? Is this no motive? Like, I can't believe how fast it is, you know, because you never really had heard Mm -hmm. an official recording. And both of us just mind boggled. Like, wow, this is really, this is no motive. Yeah. I had no idea how fast. Yeah. Well, when it comes in, it's, so fast, you know, and the only other thing that could be compared to it in playing like that real straight beat would be like Lagwagon. They played that fast, but Lagwagon had nice recordings and that first no motive seven inch is very raw and it's a good recording, but it's a living room recording and you just have the, the rim shots are just punching through. And so it's like, you can't, you've never heard something that fast and like that abrasive of like doing a real beat, not like a, like the thrash cheating beats and stuff right. or blast beats. And you want, you want to talk about, uh, you know, you want to talk about old stories. So I believe, well, you're in a band with Kevin Hurstein mm-hmm. that, and Kevin lived across the street from me, literally 30 seconds walking. Yeah. You could have hit his house with a garden hose. Right. From my house. And he had, um, he had older sisters I grew up with. So I remember going over there and Kevin, I mean, this kid, Kevin, he was a little kid, but you know, I'd known him his whole life. And he's playing drums, and this kid, Todd Jones, was over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were jamming. I was like, hey, what's up, kids, and talking to him. And I was telling Todd and Kevin about hardcore and punk and these bands. And they're like, really? Really? Wow. Like, you know, they were baffled. And I gave, a, I gave Todd Jones a cassette. And I, I can't even remember who was on it. But um, he took it home and... Man, that's that's almost like the start of Todd Jones. Yeah, that was after that was after me okay. because I brought in Todd because me and Kevin played 
two or three shows as a two piece. Okay. okay. Yeah. I was like, man, I don't even know if we need a bass player because I had like a flying V. Okay. And I had like this death metal pedal. All right. And I was just like, we're <laughs> fucking heavy. I don't know if we need a bass player. You know, but then uh, Todd was doing that band, Initial Distrust. Okay. And I think got burnt on it or something and, and left them and then joined us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then when like Kevin and I didn't get along so well after a while. And then. So we just kind of, the band broke up, and then Todd did Last Chance with Scoops. Okay. With Kevin, Scoops, and I think Phil played bass. Right. Yeah. And I saw him play across the street from Oxnard High at the Armory. Yes. yes. Yeah, so and that, I would have been in Against the Odds that time, and okay. I played that show as well. Okay. Yeah. I remember Kevin Hurstein, he, you know, just, like, wanted to be this little punker kid, and they had real bouncers, like these Samoan guys, and Kevin, like, slammed into him, and they, like, punched him out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that was that was a wild that was a wild place for shows. Yes, I remember they did two there because Burning Dog played both times, but one time they didn't have John, and one time they didn't have Joe. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like some little things like that. And Fay played one time, and that would have been the only time I saw them. Okay. And they were like really good with the second singer. The second singer, yeah, they're a great yeah. band. Great yeah, band. yeah, yeah. Underrated because they never had anything come out. No, I, I no. Why? They because they were like the one that didn't get on localism. Yeah, you know what? I, I I wanted them on there. I'm pretty sure, but they just um, they you know they're just people with lives. Yeah, you know, like if you I, can't pull I, it together. Yeah, if you couldn't pull it together, you couldn't pull it together. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this is before cell phones. Yeah, and email and all that. So you know, it it, it just didn't happen. Yeah, in '96, you start curating uh, LP comp called localism. Correct. And uh, how did you go about it? Well, and why? Why then? I, you know, I, I don't even know if I can answer that, but I just, you know, I, I was gaining steam. I wanted to do things, and um, you know, obviously, I always like like compilations of you know, like flex your head, like New York hardcore, the way it is, like you know, putting out local stuff. And I was like, well, there hasn't been anything else since Nardcore. Yeah, over like, ten I, years. Yeah, over ten years, like. You know, I want to document this. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was really it. So just ask, you know, ask local bands. And, and anyone who knows, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listen to this, but, like, doing any big project is such a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. I mean, pe- people don't understand. You know, because a lot of people putting up books now, like, you know, re-releasing old stuff. And when you talk to these people, they're like, dude, the biggest headache is just getting people on board. Like, people want to do things, but to actually get people to submit and do things. And, you know, people just have lives, and some people are flaky and just, you know. Yeah, I know. Like, the one comp I did, I thought I I came up with the ultimate cheat to cut out all the bullshit because it was a live 7-inch. And so it's like, I have all the recordings tonight, and I'm going to have someone else do the artwork and all this, and it still gets held up because I'm waiting for people to send me their lyrics. Right. You know, or like, hey, what's the name of that song? You know, and it right. still gets held up. It's like, fuck. Yeah, it's a, I thought I had all my bases covered. I can't imagine doing an LP. No, it was, I mean, and everyone knows every band. Was... <laughs> Trying to get a water out over here. All Jesus right. Christ. Earthquake. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone knows a band, you know, it's five, four or five, three to five different personalities. Yeah. So someone wants to do this, someone wants to do that. And a funny story about the the um the localism comp. 
So I had it pressed at Bill Smith. So I had the plates, the stampers, I believe, mailed directly to the pressing plant. And um, I call, I called down there, you know, like a couple weeks before. And I'm like, hey, I, I can drive down there in two weeks, like on a Monday. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll be done. It'll be done. And I remember I, I showed up like super early, like literally seven in the morning and, you know, pulled up. And people can understand, it's like two hours from my house. Yeah. So I, I left crazy early, got there, and pulled up. And they're just looking at me like, oh, shit. Like, it's not done. And I'm like, dude, I, I need this record done. Yeah. And I drove two hours. And I'm like, I'm just going to camp out here. Yeah. And they're like, sure. And they had a couch there. And I remember I had a book. And just read a book, and I'd, I'd walk. It was sort of an it was an industrial area, but I, I walked around, and there was a restaurant in the corner. I ate, and I mean, I literally hung around till like like nine at night, yeah, till nine p.m. And the record, I mean, they were just they just did the record. That's when rad. They processed that they, they did it that day. Yeah, they did it that day, and I, yeah. I took them home. That's sick. Yeah, yeah, that area is weird because like. It's super industrial, but I always felt like it was like really clean. Oh, it was clean. I mean, El Segundo is like a middle upper class. Yeah, it's, a, it's expensive to live there, so it sort of keeps the riffraff out. Yeah, it's like the nicest industrial yeah. area you've ever been in, like <laughs> in LA County. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. It probably <laughs> is. So that comp comes out, and did you you press more than three hundred of it though, right? Yeah, I think I did. Um, I think I did seven hundred, and it's funny because I remember when they were pressed. Um, uh, Bill Smith's like, you know, 700 records, you can sell these, whatever, $6 a pop, you know, you can get rich, but people don't understand, man, like, it's punk, and just, I mean, you know how many of those I gave away, and and just, you know what I mean? Well, with anything, you never get the big nut back, right? Like, if you spend $2,000 on doing something... And you get paid back 150 bucks every night for it. It's just like even if you're gonna make three thousand, it doesn't feel like you're really making money. No, you and never I mean, get that nut. No, and I mean, just I mean, any, anyone will tell you like I, I've never made money. You yeah. know what I mean? And people know my releases. I always have a lot of inserts, a lot of you know, a lot of cool stuff, and that stuff costs money. Mm-hmm. And just you know, it just you know, some people buy rims for their cars. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. You know, I, I like doing music stuff. So, you know, the money goes, the money goes. Yeah. And then after that, we do a, you do the no motive choice. So that's a, that's actually, those are some good questions for you. Where did, where was the choice from? We don't know. Yeah. The choice was from South Bay. Okay. Redondo beach. Okay. And they were actually a little older than me. They, you know, they were a few years older, old singster guys and the guitarist, Mike, he moved down here to work at um, American Music. American Music, which people don't know, it was a it was a music store um, in Oxnard, California, and just I mean, a cast of characters worked there. Yeah, you know, like cock rock guys, punker guys. I mean, it, you'd go in there, and it, it was just like a different <laughs> world. So yeah, Mike worked there, and um, he became friends with the. No motive dudes because they'd shop there and then I'd go in there and we'd just hang out. And honestly, I don't even remember, but No Motive re- recorded two new songs. Yeah. Not enough for a seven inch, but let's do a split. And then the Choice Guys, I'd seen them around and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 
That was just such a random band. It was, yeah, and then, yeah, they were South Bay. South Bay. Yeah. Redondo, Manhattan, Beach area. I bought a different LP from them at some point. Yeah, I think I don't know how much a, they did. I think they had an LP out. Yeah, it was called Sunday or Saturday Soccer. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then it, it's, um, you know, my timeline's bad, too, but I put on that show Ill Repute, The Choice, No Motive, and Goddamn Rockstars okay. at the living room. And... um. I don't think that was a record release, but that's when, you know, things, I don't know, things were in stride. I remember that's a Josh Ortega's band. Which? Which, uh, Goddamn Rockstars. Yeah, him and I, Phil. Him and Phil. You know I what? I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think Phil was in that band. No? No, I, I, I don't think so. He could have been, but I, you'd have to ask him, but I don't think so. But the funny story about that is... You know, I put them on that show. He was our friend, nicest guy ever, great guy. And, um, you know, they're really nervous playing this semi-big show. It was at the living room in Goleta. And they opened up, and in the middle of their first or second song, they stopped playing because they, they messed up the song. <laughs> and they just stopped playing the whole place like, like, like you know, fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. And yeah. everyone was staring at them. You got to play through it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> play through it. The Nard curse hit him. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. Well, Josh replaced me in Voice of Defiance when I quit. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Because right. when wasn't that your band? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it was Phil and Scoops <laughs> and me. Okay. So I don't, I don't take any claim over them. Okay. Okay. But the, I don't. Did you? You had some involvement in that in those Euro seven inches, right? <laughs> You had to, because that was when the Standing Ground demo came out, and then the second Voice of Defiance with yeah, Break Even Point. Break Even Point yeah. from, like, Italy. Yeah, and they did, like, I, I 100 think, copies. Yeah. You know what's funny? I never understood how, like, you'd call these pressing plants here, and I know when I did the half off, it was minimum 200. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, can I do 100? Like, no, absolutely not. And then these Europeans would put out, like, a press of 50. I, I mean, I, I don't know. But um, they did a hundred copies, and you know what? The only the only re- way I got involved with that, I remember that guy like writing me letters, etc., and just like I would provide like the photos, yeah, for the seven inch, and then he'd probably ask me how to spell the band member names, yeah, and just just random basic stuff that before the internet there was no way to know, and then I don't even know how it's, <laughs> it's a live logo ended up on those. Did they? Is yes. on there? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I I just wish there was more copies of that second voice that's of the fire inch. I like it. Yeah. It's a even good though like they put Josh Ortega as the bass player on it when, <laughs> when we recorded it eight months before I left the band and I wrote half the shit. Yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, cool. it's just a good record. And then Max know. was playing bass on the Stand Your Ground. But he did. Cover. But he did play bass yeah. on. Uh, on the demo. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah, it's good. a good picture. Yeah, yeah. I took that picture. Yeah. It was at, um, well, he was at the living room. I have no idea. No, it was at the pickle patch. Pickle patch. Yeah, pickle patch. That's sick. Um, then you do the Rain on Parade 7 inch. Rain on the Parade. I was just buddies with those guys, like trading records, et cetera. And um, I don't know. They just wanted to get some exposure on the West Coast. So um, why did they never come here? It's kind of stupid, right? I think right? just jobs and life. I think I could be wrong, but I, I know, I think I'm almost positive now they booked a little tour here because I made some flyers. Okay. There's actually, I, I have flyers. It's visual discrimination, 
rain on the parade and no motive at the living room. And I made the flyer and whatever reason, I mean, just life stuff, I think they, they just couldn't make it out. So they, that's why I think they were going to play shows out here. So they wanted to have some records. So they sent me, they sent me the metal stampers. Mm-hmm. I remember it was in this huge, huge box. Like I think, you know, when I picked it up, from my P.O. box, like the lady thought it was like a bomb or something. <laughs> and I got it. And um, same thing. I just drove it down to Bill Smith and pressed 300. And I spray painted the covers in my parents' backyard. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was cool, man. It's cool. Yeah, I love that record. Yeah, I love that record, too. And people loved it. But no, they never made it out. I know. What a bummer. Yeah, it was a bummer. Visual discrimination on that second run was sick. Yeah, they were sick. They were uh, that seven inch they came back with. Serial killer or yes, something? Yes. Something like that. Yeah, they were pissed. Dude. They were pissed. Yes. That was fucking Like midlife so crisis. Yeah. Almost like a midlife crisis. Yeah, they, they were pissed. You know what? Those guys, I mean, people don't know visual discrimination. Like, those guys were crazy motherfuckers. I mean, those dudes, I mean, every show they're beating someone up and just like, like, no one messed with those guys. And they were on every single bill. Yeah. I mean, literally every single show in LA, they would play. They were just like the house band. I remember like going to Taco Bell with Tim VD and some guy cut him off in the drive-thru, like someplace in Orange County, and he's like beating the guy up in his car. And <laughs> it was just every everywhere we like you go with the, those guys were just madmen. Isn't there a story with them and Chain of Strength? Yeah, but honestly, I mean, I would tell you, but I, I don't know, like, I don't really know exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't even tell you what happened. Okay. Fair enough. Um, they do the Good Riddance Ill Repute. Yeah, the Good Riddance Ill Repute. I mean, honestly, I was friends with Ill Repute, and, you know, I'd hang out with them. And then um, Good Riddance, this is funny, sorry, Good Riddance played in Ventura, in Montalvo, right, right behind Toys R Us. That's no longer there. But Deja uh, Vu. Yeah, Deja Vu. They played there. And I, I can't remember who they played with, but I went and saw them. And, um, you know, I was friends with Blast from Santa Cruz. So I'd been to Santa Cruz, probably seen the Good Riddance guys around. So they played there and um, talked to them, et cetera. And um, I, I don't know if you remember, but um, Ray Why Me of mm-hmm. Crevice, mm-hmm. that was the first time I ever saw him. And um, he got beat up by skinheads <laughs> for like no, just for having long hair. Like you know, I just see these. It's not skin- funny, but I, it's funny. I know. I just see <laughs> these. Guys. I just I wasn't ready for you to drop that on me. <laughs> and I remember like yesterday. I remember going to the show, walking in, and five minutes later, these skinheads walking in looking for trouble. And then Ray just standing there and them just walking over, like, pulling him. I'm like, poor guy. And, then, yeah. and you know, the Why Me became infamous. Can like, you tell the Why Me story? Oh, yeah. Tell it. I, I want to tell the Why Me story. So the first time I saw Why Me, he, he gets beat up by skinheads, okay? But we should we should tell what, what you, like, he's, like, a, a pretty, a portly, um, yeah, like, people, long-haired people guy that, he, like, he, looks like you survived, like, every Slayer pit, right? Yes, yes. Like, I've it, survived every scary heavy metal pit there is to survive. Yeah, so just imagine this guy with super long, like you said, long-ass hair. I mean, just looks like he survived <laughs> every Slayer pit to hell and back. Yeah. Like, nice guy, like, hey, guys, hey, guys, always had some random metal 
shirt on. Yeah, and, and played in a, a band called Crevice. Played in a band Crevice. So, yeah, why me stories? First time I ever see him, he, he gets beat up by skinheads. Okay? Second time I ever see him, he's he's at the Ojai Women's Club in Ojai, and this huge spider the size of my fist drops out of a tree onto his head. <laughs> this is a true story. And you got to understand, this guy had hair, like, down to his ass. So the spider's in his hair, and he's running around, like, punching the air, trying to get the spider out of his hair. Okay? And then, so then, I'd see this guy around, and um, he worked at Pizza Hut in Ventura. So, um... Our round table. He worked at round table and pizza in East End. So he invited me and some buddies. Hey, I'll come give you free pizza. Hey, free pizza. Let's do it. So we go there. He has this truck and he's a delivery guy. He has this truck has like 666 spray painted on the side with like hail Satan on the back of it. Spray painted. So we go in and he's doodling. And, like, he has his round table uniform on. He's doodling, like, in a, his little art book, you know, with, like, devils, like, people's heads cut off. He's like, hey, guys, you know, I don't know if I can give you free pizza. It's really a bummer. They're only giving me, like, four hours a week. And they never send me on deliveries. And I'm thinking, man, like, that, that was, there's probably a reason. But we hung out a little. And then I have a no, uh, why me story a lot of people don't know. I put on a show at the living room. I can't remember who was playing. And he asked to play that show. With Crevice? <clears throat> yes, with Crevice. And I go, yeah, absolutely. I'll put you on the show. But here's the deal. I remember I told him at Kinko's. I go, here's the deal. You have to be on time. Yeah. Like the living room, it's it squared away, it's set times. And John, you know, it's a real show. Yeah. Like, like you have to be on time. So... I see him like a like you know a few weeks before the show, and I'm like, "You're you're still playing." We'll be there, and I made the flyer, and I get there before the show, and I'm waiting around. Long story, they never show up. Jesus, okay, they never they never show up. So I, I see why me a few days later in Ventura, and I'm like, "What the fuck happened?" You know, you sort of put me on the spot. Yeah, and he's like, "Dude." Our guitarist got a DUI and the van got towed. So I'm like, fuck. Like, um, yeah, you know, I'm feeling bad. And I'm like, on the way to the show, and he's like, no, like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dude. You can call me? Dude, three weeks ago, <laughs> like, I thought I saw you. And he's like, yeah, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> like... <laughs> And then he got the why me story because um, Creek Division was playing at Skate Street upstairs. And, you know, it was this tiny room and people were dancing around. And like a movie, this is a true story, like a movie, you just heard like a tree break. I mean, literally just like you thought the building was coming down and why me was laying in the middle of the dance floor with his leg backwards. And so the band stopped. And we're all like, are you okay? You need to go to the hospital. And he just starts saying, why me? Why me? <laughs> and true story, they put him, they had, a, they had to carry him downstairs. He's a big guy. They put him in back of a pickup truck. 
this is true. I'm leaning out a two-story window, and they're driving off, and he's going, why me? <laughs> and that's that's the why me story. Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's a genuine question. Yeah. Because he survived so many pits, <laughs> and then he goes down in like a, a tiny little fun creep division pit, yeah. you know? It's always how it is. Oh, man. It's so funny. So... So yeah, I, I released that. I released the Good Riddance every piece seven inch, and um, you know, it was a big deal to me. And, and another funny story that I remember, Good Riddance played at the, it was called the Underground in in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. It had a hundred different names. Yeah, and they were playing. I remember, you know, the merch table just sitting there, and some girl walked up and just grabbed like five of them and ran out the door. <laughs> yes, and and me and the Good Riddance guy are looking at her. Should we chase her? We're like, nah. <laughs> that place was wild because, yeah, it was the underground, then it was Emerald City. Right. And, and it, it, you had, like, the three steps that, like, literally you walk from the bar into the pit. And right. it was just like, that place, I don't know, obviously places are way, way more violent. But that was a place, like, there was always a fight. There was, and, and, and I mean, I'm sure you know this one, I'll tell you, but it was, like, almost walking distance from, like, downtown yeah so people people know downtown santa barbara it's just party central yeah like you would see on mtv yeah so i think random people would just sort of you know gravitate and just end up there dude one time gutter mouth played and like there was a big old brawl and the show gets shut down and we go out and a guy was getting elbow smashed like randy savage like on top of my car Like, the guy was, like, doing the drop WWF elbows, like, on top of my car. And I was like, first off, how do you even get up there? You know? know, know. Why are you doing this? When the bet, me and and Dave Mandel rode down there with the guys from Blast. They had Mm -hmm. a band, right over Blast Brother, they had this band Blackout. And they played with RKL. And we rode down there with those guys and hanging out. And RKL was playing. And true story the bouncers got on stage and started fighting the band and the band was still playing and fighting the bouncers and Jason would sing and between lyrics would be punching out the bouncers with the microphone. And then between literally the song would stop and the guitars would be like, like swinging at the bouncer and they'd go into the next song. Yeah. Just. Yeah. I remember one time Il Repute played there around that era and it was not a necessarily memorable show. There was probably like 80 people or something. Right. And it was like this fight broke out over here. And then it would like be dying out. And then this one broke out over here. And we were like, I think you had to have been there. Yeah, I was there. It was like this era. And we were like standing on stage just watching these different fights for like 20 minutes. It was like, <laughs> I, what the fuck? Yeah. Dude? And like I said, it wasn't in a bad area. No. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's just the, I think it was literally because they, if you were 21 and older, you could drink and you, take three steps from the bar down into the pit. So it's like, yeah, it's just like you get drunk, you walk down, someone blasts you, and then you fight him. Yeah. You know? You're probably right. Yeah. So that's pretty rad. You could do an repeat record. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. That was was a big deal to me. Yeah. My hometown heroes put out a record by him, and uh, it it was cool. And then back-to-back, you get to do Lab right after that. Yeah, I do the Lab. Excuse me. The the, I was friends with the Blast guys forever, and... um, they started blackout and they turned into lab and um yeah just you know put out that seven inch two songer and uh 
Yeah, I, I love that thing. That thing's awesome. That, that was fun putting out. You know, it sounded different, sort of stoner rock before stoner rock. It's was. a cool 7-inch. I like it more than the Blackout 7-inch. Yeah, definitely. You definitely. know? Yeah. It's, no, it, it still holds up. It's a, I'd like to re-release it someday. It's a, it's, it's a great record. Yeah, or at least put the files online or something for yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's so good. And then, like, good luck tracking it down. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least the songs, right? Right, right. If you're not going to rip it. Um. Do the ill repute re-release like the CD? Yeah, do the CD. That was that was a that was a huge clusterfuck. Yeah, I mean, you know, me and Dave Mandel put it out. Split. It's alive. Indecision Records, and um, Doug Moody had not been heard of forever, and it came out. And you'd have to ask Dave more about it, like mm-hmm. on his end. But um, Doug Moody called Dave. And said, you know, you can't put this out, et cetera. I'm going to sue you. Typical Doug Moody stuff. Yeah. So Dave said, you know what? We're going to have to shelf this. And um, then Sean Stern called me and said, hey, I had heard that Doug Moody's threatened you guys. And so he called Dave Mandel and said, hey, man, like, fuck that guy. Like, he's not going to do shit. Like, you know, et cetera. But. It just, it was never officially released. Yeah. It's out there, and it's cool, you know. It has an insert and everything, but, uh, you know, then then Doug, it's funny because that's what gave Doug sort of the idea because Doug just took that and then started re-releasing stuff. Yeah, and, and that stuff is not well done. No, it, it's horrible. It's like the best of a repute, but it's really like, at, at the end, the rest of it repeat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the, the rest, it's not the best. Yeah. Like, we put out, it was the LP and the 7-inch, like the classic stuff. Yeah, and the Narcore Comp <clears throat> songs. The, yeah, yeah, you're and right. And then the one you're extra right. song, the one from... Slimy Valley. Either Slimy Valley or Let's Die. Let's Die, you're right, yeah. from Let's Die. And, um, yeah, it was great. It's too bad that never hit the public, really. Yeah. You know, it had pictures and lyrics and everything but yeah that guy sh- so if you have that hang on to it yeah yeah it's a cd it would have gotten chucked by now <laughs> yeah. i can't hang up. I, I i collect records already and i have too no much, room for CDs. too much junk yeah i got you i have a very small tape collection too yeah, that's good that's but, good uh then you do your own band oh, which yeah, is pretty yeah. rad yeah, right so time. yeah so what makes you decide to want to jump in there because now you've done you book shows you done a fanzine, you put out records, and now you want to like participate, like yeah, be well, a part I, of them. Those guys from Ventura that I used to hang out with, they actually like um, they would they had a little band. Just they never played outside their house, but they would just do a uh, cover band cover songs mm-hmm. of like mostly Stalic. Okay, like literally play the entire Stalic Thirteen album, and I would sing. Okay, and um, they had a singer. But he would come over, and he was more interested in, like, drinking beer, talking to girls. I was like, fuck it, let me sing. And when is this? This is, like, 85. Oh. This is, like, 85. Okay. And um, probably 85, 86. So, you know, I'd sing, but we never got out of of, you know, my friend's living room. So I would sing. And then, I honestly, I can't, I think it was the same guys. We did a, a talent show. Okay. At, at Santa Clara Elementary. Mm-hmm. And we covered a Stalic song. Sick. And, and we won. Yeah. And we won. And I remember I made flyers for like 
the show and uh-huh. handing them out. You know, the average person like a flyer for a talent show. Yeah, and we won that. I wish I don't have that flyer anymore. I wish I had it. And then, um, and then um, you talked about this band with Stu um, Arch Enemy. Okay, I was friends with the drummer of Arch Enemy, Mike Starr, and he he would come over to my house. And he was a very good drummer. He would jam on the drums and I would sing. And it was just a drummer and vocals. Yeah. And we would jam out and we never did really did anything. And then I, I went on tour with um, Fields of Fire yeah. and In Control. Yeah. Your band. And um, the, the guy, you know, Graham was around and, you know, he's like, hey, let's start a band. And you sang a song like. Maybe not every night, but a handful of times on that tour, you would sing. I would, yeah, I would. It's funny because I vaguely remember that, but yeah, I would get on stage and you know, I, straight on view, I, straight on view. That's right? right, yeah, straight on view, and um, get on stage and sing, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a good singer. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it was fun, man. I was just having fun. I couldn't really play an instrument, so that was it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you saved Fields of Fire that one night in. North Carolina after Ryan body slammed right. a badge. <laughs> okay, okay. So I sang. You know, there you go. See, that's good. You remember that stuff because all it's vague. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't remember that. I vaguely, dude. Is Bedge was doing like the normal speech like the singer does? Like, hey, thanks for coming out. Like, help us out and buy some merch. And Ryan, for whatever reason, is like, hey, fuck you, you know. And Bedge is like. Well, I would tell you to buy some in control merch, but they're a bunch of dicks. <laughs> and so Ryan goes up and just fucking picks him up like he's fucking Dino Bravo or some shit. Just fucking body slams him WWF style. And like, I mean, it looked like it hurt because he didn't get an arm That's down right. or nothing. Yeah. He wasn't ready for it, yeah. you know? And he just, you know? And I mean, the wind was knocked out of him. He was like, thank you, good night. We're fields of fire. And like dropped the mic and like ran off. And if you remember, that place was, like, on the third story. Okay. So, like, you run down, like, three, <laughs> three stories of stairs to, like, slammed. get away, you know? And then, like, everyone's just like, what do we do? And they're like, Fred, let's see straight on view, you know? That was it? Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they headlined every night. All right. So. And then, um, well, the back, you wanted to, I know you mentioned you wanted to tell me a story. I sang with Stalag 13 at the Showcase Theater. That's right. Let's, so, let's set up this story because uh, this is... One of my best friends in San Diego, Don, he was at the show when uh, okay. when Blake was yelling Bailey over and over. Okay. And this is a stupid story I've had to hear about for like over 20 <laughs> years now. Is anytime like I say how much I love Stalag, they have to give me shit about the one night that like Blake is yelling Bailey. Right. So I was there. So what, what happened? Stalag got back together and um, it was Blake Cruz, original guitarist, and then Joey Lipke who was one of the original drummers. And then they had a random bass player, an older guy I didn't know, and um, a random singer who was a younger guy. And um, they got a show with Ignite and, um, in Corona. I, I might even got on that show. I, I can't remember. <clears throat> but they're like, hey, let's go. We all hopped in the van. And, um, I mean, Blake will tell you, Blake has been sober forever. But back then, he wasn't sober. Man, he, he was a wild man. So even before we get out of Oxnard, I mean, you know, people are roughhousing in the van. And, and Joey, you know, he, he, was, he, he sort of was a serious guy. Like, hey, I'm driving. <clears throat> we got to do this by the book, et cetera. 
And I mean, because he's a little more artist. He's the guy that did Edge Records, right? So you know, it's sort of all on him. Yeah. So I remember, like, you know, we we stop typical. We stop at the gas station, gas up. No one has money, <clears throat> so I buy everyone food and like. You know, food's rolling around. People are arguing in the van. You know, people are partying. And then we stopped in the valley at, um, you might, I don't even know the name, but it's just where you practice. It's just some lockouts. Yeah, a lockout. So we go there, and they're playing and partying, et cetera. And Blake and the bass player get in a fist fight. (laughs) They start fighting in the lockout, and we're pulling them apart. And I'm like, man, and people don't know Oxnard to Corona is a shitty drive. Yes. I mean. Two hours and boring. Two hours and just smog, traffic. So I'm stuck in this van. People are (laughs) fighting and arguing. Then we get to the show and um, Blake has just had his daughter Bailey and had written a song about it. And um, he gets on stage and like your friend said, every other word is Bailey. Bailey, I love Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. And man, it, it was a little rough. It was a little, it, it, it was it was rough, but you know, people people were there, they were happy. Yeah. And and the singer, you know, he, he was he was younger, so people were like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And then I don't even know what happened, but the band said, Hey Fred, sing some songs. So I got up on stage and, and I sang some of the set and it, it it was cool, man. Yeah, it, it was just, but it it was just, it wasn't funny when it. It's like when it wasn't funny when it was happening then. Yeah, it was, but now it's funny. So, do the singer just like get the hook? Like they're like, get this kid out of here, or what? <laughs> I don't. You know, honestly, I think what happened. I was on stage, and I I knew like ignite dudes were there, and like some other people I know, and they're like, hey, hey, have give Fred, Fred one, give Fred one, give yeah. Fred one, yeah. And they're like, yeah, 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 get up here. And then I sang and then just kept singing. Yeah. <laughs> like, my mic, my yeah. mic, kid. Yeah, and that, uh, that was it. And then, yeah, to go back. So, uh, you know, me and Graham and Jamie and Chris Grande started uh, Annihilation Time on that In Control Fields of Fire. Yeah. And then we got back and um, how we were talking about Emerald City Underground, that club. Mm-hmm. We practiced. I mean, like next door. Okay. Like one minute walking, and you know, we drove up there and just started practicing. That's how Annihilation Time started. Yeah, and you do it pretty quick. <clears throat> yeah, you go we do. Record with Nick Jet. <clears throat> yeah, we record with Nick Jet. I mean, you know, by that time, you know, you, you sort of know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I know how to put out a record. We know someone who does a studio. So um, we've become friends with Nick Jet and um. He lived in the valley, and you know we'd go down there and record. And this before digital, we're recording on tape. And um, you know, I I I never really been in the studio recording. Like I'd done backups and stuff and hung around, but um, yeah, it, it it was rough. But um, you know, the guys Nick really helped me out, and uh, Tony Molino helped me out, and you know, we we just we got it done. You had a really good crew to be in there with, right? Like as if. That's a lot of pressure singing right. the first time. Right. It's very hard. Yeah, it was. But, um, you know what? But everyone had been in there before. Everyone I don't know if Jamie. In... Well, Jamie had been in with Fields of Fire. Yeah, he, he'd been around studio. But it was really, really, it was, um, it was uh, I remember Tony helping me out, Nick, and Graham. Yeah. Like, they're the ones who really, like, helped me out. Yeah. So, I remember I even drove down there with Tony, just me and Tony and uh, 
you know, he helped me out. And yeah, it was cool. It was fun. I mean, I don't know what the fuck I was doing, but it's punk. It's hardcore. Yeah. Are you a guy that listened to it a million times or could never listen to it? Um, Cause some I, people like, I, like I have to listen to my shit. Right. If I, if I get a new recording, I'm listening to it a hundred times in a row. And then some people are just like, I can't hear my own. No, voice. I listen to it. Yeah. I, I was one of those people. I listen to it. Yeah. I probably listened to a hundred times. And the thing is, it, it turned out a hundred. I'm just talking about my vocals. It turned out a hundred times better than I thought. Yeah. You know, like I was like, man, this is going to be rough. Like, yeah. It, you know, I might have to like throw all these records away or whatever, but no, it was, it was, I'm happy with it. Yeah. You know? No, I think I no complaints. No, it's a cool record. Thanks. And then what do you know what happened with the following? Like, did you get booted? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got, I got kicked out of the band. I mean, just typical band stuff, you know, like, you know, we just had different interests. Mm. I mean, everything from music to Did you life. tour? You did a tour though, right? So <clears> you <throat> did Fields of Fire and Control in 01, and then in 02 did Fields of Fire and Annihilation Time. Yeah, so we, we did we did a, we did a U.S. tour, and um, yeah, it, it was cool, man. It yeah. was cool, you know? I had a lot of contacts, and I think uh, Bedge set up the tour, and, yeah. you know, we went, and I, you know, like I said, I wasn't a great singer. I don't know what I was doing, but whatever, fuck it. I just went out there. You were fun. Yeah, I had fun, man, and you know, jump on people, throw shit, and yeah, whatever, dude. I, I, man, I had the time of my life. Yeah, and it was fun. Then we got back. You know, I just think they wanted to go a different direction, and you know, I was a little older, and just, you know, just whatever. It it just didn't work out. But I, I, I always remember I was at Revelation Records. And some of our revelations, like, hey, are you are you playing, like, in Santa Barbara tonight? I'm like, no. They're like, yeah, they're playing. I'm like, well, I guess I'm kicked out of the band. <laughs> that's how you found out? <laughs> yeah, that's how I found out. Oh, that's sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's what it is. So, yeah. No, but know? it's still cool that you got to, like, do a record. And uh, a 12-inch. Yeah, and I, you know what? And I was finishing college, and, and really, that's just, you know... It's just is what I I wanted to graduate college. Yeah. So that's it is what it is. Yeah. So it all you know. Yeah. And then right after you do Blasting Concept, which is kind of like a an Eilish Time brother band, no? Yeah, yeah, I did a blast. It's a little later. I mean actually we shouldn't say right after, it was like eight years later. Yeah, a little later, <laughs> but um yeah, they're just local Santa Barbara dudes. I was cool with them and, and um get to do a Capra record. Yeah, to get to do a Jeff Capra record and um Yeah, that that was a fun re- that's funny because that's one of those records I put out and I mean, I love that record, mm-hmm. and you know, people liked them, but it's just, man, I, I love that band. Yeah, you know, I, no, I, really, I love it too. You know, there's some bands you're friends with, you like, and you're like, ah, they're all right, but I mean, that band could really rock out. But you know, it's just, well, I was glad they did the LP because I think they're more of an LP band, right? Just because it's a rocker, you want to put it on and like let it long play right right so no, it, you did both yeah that, that, that was uh you did a seven was, inch and the lp yeah i did a seven inch and lp and then uh i re-released all the uh stuff on cd yeah, yeah i put it on cd if anyone wants a cd you can have it <laughs> i have boxes of them you can have it yeah mm-hmm. well how do they email you just um just uh just email me i love oxnard at hotmail.com i go. love oxnard at hotmail.com and the- you get some free cds and also then i put out the half off cd yeah photography yeah oh that's cool yeah I, i've never even seen that oh you haven't no I, I got one for you in my car oh dude i want one it's the it's the original singer a half off they did a it's it's one of those when bands would do like a 17 song demo yeah and um 
Yeah, I just I released it on CD and it has a huge booklet and some stories and stuff. Yeah, cool. yeah, dude, I actually really want that. Yeah, I love what you did with the Unity Seven Inch. Okay, okay, it's so cool. Thank right? you. Right, just pull off the rippers. <clears throat> yep, and put out a Seven Inch. How did yep. that come about? Do you did you work with Joe? <clears throat> um, you know what? I just I always love that Unity Blood Days record. Yeah, and um. I just I love the songs that weren't the the original Unity songs. Yeah, and I was like, man, I, I want to put this out. So I was friends with Jody Foster, and I asked him, and he's like, yeah, just get in touch with Longry, Pat Longry, and I got in touch, and he's like, yeah, man, go for it, just yeah. let's do it. And um, you know, yeah, I just put it out, and and I I remember because I only pressed three hundred. Yeah, I remember uh, Jeff, a smorgasbord record up front, like he had a, a vegan a vegan restaurant by where Zed Records used to be, that area. Uh-huh. And he's like, man, you're going to lose all, you're going to lose a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's all I can afford right now. Like yeah. 300, like, I'm like, I probably will, but I, I just want to put this record out. Yeah. And I did. And But those all went. Yeah, they all went. Yeah, because. So. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I love those songs. Yeah, I, I got one. I bought it at, I'm trying to think. I think I got it at TKO. Okay. All right. Yeah. I do all my Southern California shopping all over. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So, and the last thing you've done is the re-release of the Narcor comp. Yeah, yeah. The Nar. I mean, the Narcor comp. I mean, it, it's pretty basic. I mean, that's one of my top five favorite albums of all time. Sure. And I mean, that had a huge, huge influence on me. I remember just listening to that record in my room and just like unbelievable. These people live in my neighborhood. Yeah. Like literally someone live on my street. Yeah. Like I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It's just, you know, and I'd see the Gretchen guys surfing. It's, it's just unbelievable. And so, you know, it, it's been out of press forever. And like, you know, Doug did repress it, but you know, it, it didn't, it didn't have an insert and like, you know, it's just typical mystic garbage stuff. And it was overpriced. And I was like, fuck it. I you know whatever. I'm just going to re-release it. And um, talked to some of the guys involved with that album. They said, do it. Who cares? And, um, yeah, I re-released it with a huge booklet, et cetera. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm, I'm happy how it turned out. Yeah. It's sick. Yeah. Looks good. And the art on the front is altered a tiny bit, right? It oh, looks it's, a little more white than black. Um, well, the re- the artwork, I had the original artist, Brian Walsby, recreate it. Oh. He re- it's, a, it's, a brand new, uh, it's a brand new art. So he just recreated it. But you know, just cleaned it up, and um, he's awesome. Yeah, he's he's awesome. doing the Retali LP right now. Oh, okay, yeah, he, he's awesome. So Brown Walsby from Simi Valley, California. Yeah. So yeah, he did the front and back, and then uh, I used some Chewy artwork for the insert, and has a huge insert stickers, etc. So yeah, I'm happy. Where is that. he now? Chewy. Yeah. Chewy. Chewy lives in Oxnard, and um, he still lives in Oxnard, and he's involved with the art world. He does some kind of. Uh, sculptures okay i like i i'm not exactly sure don't quote me but i think they're like huge sculptures did you have him draw something new for you no but he's going to oh sick he's working on it right now sick he's working on it right now yeah so yeah because he's kind of like the underrated yeah he, man he, he's like unsung hero of oxnard yeah so yeah, really humble low-key guy yeah this off the topic like it, these fucking podcasts are hard to do like because i'm an amateur obviously and it's weird because it's like you'll be talking about something and it's like I want to – it's so hard to like have the balance of like letting you talk and then also like wanting to 
grab something out of there and ask about it, you know? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing that gets forgot is like how good Ignite was in like the mid nineties. Right. Because they're a, they're a different band now and I actually still enjoy them and I like all the, the new songs, but as a hardcore band in the mid nineties, they were, they were insane, right? Yes. Okay. Insane. I mean, they were just, I mean, they just, you know, they knew how to play. They had the look. You know, and they just, the perfect storm knew how to put it all together. And one thing, I mean, like anything, they had a lot of confidence. Yeah. I mean, they hit the stage and they're like, hey, we're here and let's do it. Yeah. And let's rock. And yeah, man, they they, they were insane. That lineup, like right when they got Zoli. Right. Yeah. With and Joe Foster, Brett. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, Joe Foster, Brett, Zoli, and... Uh, Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Yeah, Casey Jones is a great guy. Old Orange County hardcore guy. Just a great drummer. And uh, he, he's actually he's a huge fan of uh, Nardcore. Yeah. yeah. He's always wearing Nardcore shirts, et cetera. Yeah, that, that I mean, that was just like the perfect time. Yeah, Ignite. If you saw them back then, they just killed it. Yeah. It's, it's hard, like, to remember. You know, sometimes. Yeah. But, and it's hard for me to explain to people because they see like the current version. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, you know, right. It's just different. Yeah. It's it's just different. different. I mean, you know, they're just a touring band, just sort of not a rock band, but they just kind of a rock band, but like a good, like a good indie rock band. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's good. It's just so different because that, that nice stuff was super powerful and interesting and, yeah, I don't know. Call my brothers. And yeah, pass, yeah. Those, they I call mean, my brothers and pass our means. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great. Yeah, and and they're actually singing about cool stuff. Yeah, a like, little outside know. the box, but like I don't know, it just can't be replicated. It's nope. like weird stuff from them. You have anything else, Fred? Um, no, that's it. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for doing this. I think it's really cool, and uh, it's cool to document stuff because you know I did a fanzine, etc. It's cool to stuff to have on paper, but paper gets lost. This stuff can get archived and be there forever, and people can listen to it, and you know, and hopefully, cool. you never know. <laughs> like there'll be some audio, audio corruption crisis in America, and everything will be lost. Should have written it down, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Thank you, Fred. <laughs>